Hello, hello. Welcome again to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is your host, Kim Langling. Hey, before we get going, I want to make sure to remind you, hop on over to my website at kimlanglingauthor.com. Check out all that's coming up and what's new and what's been happening in the realm. And also probably want to keep up with my office manager, Dexter. So having said all of that, folks, grab your cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Welcome back to another episode. And in today's episode, I have Laura Toop coming to us from London, England. She is the bereavement and grief coach, helping the bereaved love life again after loss. I have been so looking forward to this conversation, Laura. So thank you so much for joining me today on Let Fear Bounce. Thank you for inviting me, Kim. Delighted to be here. So I want to ask, um, I'm just going to, you know, we're going to jump right into it. You are the bereavement and grief coach, helping mm-hmm. the bereaved love life again after loss. Now, obviously, I'm assuming that that's coming from personal experience. So would you like to share some of your journey with us? You assumed correctly. <laughs> it has. So you, you, you got it right there. So yeah, it definitely is personal experience. I, five and a half years ago, my life spectacularly imploded. I lost my husband, my health, and my career in quick succession. Uh, so I entered into 2016 with my, my then four-year-old nephew saying to me, Auntie Lollipops, aka me, now that Uncle Chris is dead, you have nothing. So I will say that at the start of 2016, I did feel like I had absolutely nothing. Everything I'd worked really hard for, you know, spent time, love, energy in, was gone. And however, my nephew did say he'd look after me for 100 days, bless him. But when you're four, that's a very, very, very long time. But when you're 42, uh, that wasn't going to get me much past March. So there I was in this position of where to go. How was I going to cope? And I'd fallen, as so often many widows do, into a new relationship quite quickly. When this giant void opens up, you kind of instantly look to try and patch the holes. Mm-hmm. And, and you know whether whether it's you know filling it with a, a replacement as such. So I fell into this relationship. I really liked the guy and and really couldn't understand why he said to me, no, 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 this is not working. I can't replace Chris. I can't replace your husband. And and I knew that the only way I was going to get over that relationship breaking down because I felt completely broken was to take myself off 5,000 miles away to the sunny island of Aruba. So as I step off the plane uh, to the, the 32 degree blistering heat, which was obviously all I wanted was just to be able to sit on a sun lounger and welcomed by the taxi driver saying to me, and welcome to the happy island. <laughs> so, <laughs> the irony obviously not lost on me as I then spent the next sort of, well, ultimately ended up nearly seven weeks crying my eyes out, sat on a sun lounger, putting the pieces together of my life. It was the point at which on that beach where I changed the question from how was I going to cope to what was I coping with that I began to put in play 
project me, as it's affectionately called. And I asked myself three questions. Who am I now? What's important to me? What makes me feel truly alive? Because the one thing I wanted to feel was truly alive again. That has become the basis on which I have created the life I have now. And that is the work that I do now with others to help them around their group create their project me to be able to live life again and love life again beyond loss. I think one of the main things that popped out to me as you were talking, you said you're, you know, you're sitting on that island in, yeah. in a lounger in the sun and you came up with the questions. And the one that popped out to me that you had mentioned was one of the three was who am I? Yeah. You know, you're, you're married for years and yeah. your life is, is enveloped. Both of you, you know, they're together. You guys are one. Yeah. And all of a sudden there you are on your own and you feel, I can only imagine that you feel as if you're, you're lost and yeah. finding yourself and who you, who you are that had to have been a difficult thing because in marriages and in partnerships of any sort, you make a lot of compromises with who likes what and yeah, we do this now and then we do this now. And maybe you've put a lot of your own self aside for years without yeah. even realizing it. Yeah, I think this is very, very true. And I think I hadn't, I think you go through this whole series of questions of, well, am I still a wife? Um, right. What, what role do I play now? I don't have any children, so I was never a mother. So that didn't cross cross my, my mind. For me, actually, it was more about the things that we had planned together ahead. Um, we had found a balance where it's almost like you've got two halves of a, of a person together and suddenly you've lost half a person. Um, and, and it's trying to work out what the other half of the person that is now you is because it's changed you've got to do more things than you ever did before you've got to do them on your own you've got you're thrown into this space of what i call dynamic learning so learning in the moment because mm -hmm. everything is new you're, you're dealing with things that you've never ever dealt with before because that would have been what he did <laughs> I, I suppose i was fortunate in a way because up until losing my career because both myself and Chris had very strong careers, we were both quite career driven. So therefore, as, as such, we had sort of social lives associated with that. We had a path that. So, so for me, the, the collapse of the career as well at the same time meant I wasn't even an employee. I wasn't even a worker anymore. So I was struggling with that. And then I didn't have my health in order to be able to really function properly to take the next step. So I think it was a, a myriad of things that was going on into this sort of maelstrom of grief for me. So um, for the career, you mentioned that you lost your career around the same time or at the same, same yeah. time that you lost your husband. What happened there? Well, in the journey through while well, Chris was, because um, it was only, it was very quick with Chris. He was from diagnosis to dying. It was eleven months, and within that time, he had major thirteen-hour surgery that was supposed to save his life. Um, and that surgeon came out and said, "You know, go away, have a nice ten years of your life. We've got it all, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. I've never actually really stepped out 
of work because everything had been quite quick and everything had been quite positive and then suddenly it turned I was in a senior leadership role at the time and Chris's then subsequent demise actually accelerated I got in a new boss and my new boss didn't necessarily see eye to eye with me you know unfortunately it became leverage that I wasn't 100% focused on the business unsurprisingly so Therefore, very quickly, with a little bit of pushing and behind closed doors, I was ultimately let go for lack of leadership ability. I don't deny that my leadership ability had probably faltered. I, you know, I'd hold my hands up to that. But I think the way it was done and the, the support I was given wasn't there. So, you know... It wasn't a particularly pleasant experience and I think ultimately glad to be out of it. It was something I had passionately believed in. I put a lot of energy in to the role because it was a strategic role where I was effectively thrown in to create a plan, to build a team and to set the strategic direction of a particular area of the business. And so I'd spent all of that time building that up I had just recruited all the team. We just started getting going and, and really starting to deliver results. Then Chris got the diagnosis. And so I never really got the opportunity to deliver it. It's a myriad of things that led to, to ultimately losing it. But I think for me, it's taken me quite a lot to get back to a position where what was eroded at a time when I already felt so lost with the, the grief my, you know, who was I question mm -hmm. that it could have been dealt with differently. So, you know, as I say, looking back on it now, five and a half years on, it's the absolute blessing in disguise. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to deny that because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, something I'm absolutely passionate in. And, you know, so it always, albeit that you can't see it at the time, there is always something better and higher that's waiting for you if you right. just allow yourself to take one step forward. Um, you had mentioned, you know, and that's so unfortunate because businesses as such don't typically let empathy come into play. No. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, and I know that companies, at least in America, larger companies are working or there is a shift happening i don't know when we will fully see that in play but there are some companies i know of that are shifting the culture the workplace yeah. culture which is a positive um unfortunately that wasn't in place for you and i've been in the same situation where life and physical health came into play and you're let go because you're not showing up 100 percent you're yeah. going well you know i did the best i could yeah <laughs> You're not in my yeah. shoes right now, you know, yeah. so it is unfortunate, but also like you said, blessing in disguise. And I, I truly believe that because you're, you're now doing something that you, like you said, you're passionate about, you're spreading light to so many people that are sitting in darkness, you know, and it's, that's nothing but a positive thing. So I, I, I commend you for that. That's just wonderful. You. you had also mentioned that, um, at that same time, your, your personal health had declined. Yeah. What, what were you experiencing there? Literally, we buried Chris on the Friday 
And on the Saturday, I started to feel unwell. The pain was extreme. So in the end, I didn't expect to be calling my mother at 42 to say, mom, can you take me to the hospital? But that's what it got to. By the time I got to the hospital, I was absolutely writhing in, in pain and nothing was touching it. They were about to send me home and they just did a standard urine test and discovered I had a minor infection. So they said, look, we can't understand why she's in so much pain. We'll keep her in, in this, this sort of transit ward for 12 hours and let's see what happens. Within about three, I was severely jaundiced. My um, liver function, the pain was still there. I, I was by this stage on, you know, drips and all sorts and, and morphine for the pain. And it wasn't really doing very much. My, my liver function had gone off the Richter scale. They call it ALT levels, which is effectively your liver function. It should be around 10 to 15, maybe top end 50. Mine was in excess of 7,000. To say I looked like a minion was an understatement. Um, wow. Basically, my body was shutting down. And I was experiencing all the symptoms that my husband had done of pancreatic cancer. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> and you said that, that you started feeling unwell the day after the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't psychosomatic. It was actually happening right. to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, you know, you cannot deny the, the, the jaundice, the blood tests. Um, I had tubes coming out of me from more places than I knew existed. I got drips and needles everywhere because they were all, they just couldn't understand what was going on. They could see inflammation in my body. Um, they didn't know what had caused the inflammation. They couldn't understand it. So I think I could barely breathe at the time because once everything's inflamed inside, obviously it's squashing on your diaphragm. So it's impacting your breathing. And I, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty petrified because I had obviously sat there with Chris in the last few days before he died, um, watching him severely jaundiced, unable to breathe, unable to eat, lots of tubes everywhere. So I, I'm kind, I've kind of almost had a, a prelude of what was going on. Right. And the doctors couldn't tell me what was going on other than we've got to take blood tests every three to four hours to see what's going on we don't really we'll keep taking you for various different tests still can't work out what was going on they then came to the conclusion that perhaps i'd um had a gallstone or something and that there was an issue with my gallbladder but because it was passed by this stage three days they don't operate at that point and because the inflammation was too great so they said we need to wait for the inflammation to die down well i i ended up in hospital for a month at that point, because it took that long just to even get my um, ALT levels down to even a thousand and they wouldn't allow me to leave without that. So I, <laughs> I did ultimately have my gallbladder removed in the December of that year, only to subsequently discover later on that they shouldn't have removed it because actually that's exacerbating. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, but I feel, you know, I, I, I feel relatively blessed because I can still just about eat because the consultant who did the operation has been struck off because he, in error, cut a man's testicle off. So, <laughs> so I, I, I know, I mean, how can you do that? But um, <laughs> I know. I'm, 
I know people I, I, people can't see my facial expression right now because this is audio only, but um, I think my eyes just, whoa, what? No, I know. So, because I, I was supposed to be going back for a follow-up and I'm going, well, where's, where's the consultant, you know? And everybody was kind of dancing around the subject. Wow. Like, oh, okay. So, so yeah. Um, but needless to say, that was, so, but I didn't discover until later that in actual fact, but in removing it because your gallbladder is basically your sort of overflow pipe as it were so but yeah so it was I mean I, I'm not gonna lie it was a really frightening experience and they were really busy in the wards and the only people I had to visit my mum primarily my dad when he was well enough because my dad was in late stage blood cancer or was, it was in the late stages of blood cancer so he wasn't always well enough to come but they didn't even notice in my notes that it says newly widowed until the day I actually left when the, the staff nurse said to my mom, well, where's her husband? <laughs> my mom said, well, didn't, didn't she say, you know, he died. Four weeks had gone on where I'm like in there and they're basically, um, for most of that, I was in a room on, on my own because at one stage they thought I'd caught some contagious foreign disease. I know, I know. We went through everything. I, I tell you that there isn't a test that I didn't, don't think I didn't have. You know. Wow, my goodness. So, so yeah, I, and I and so I kind of went back to work after that, and I didn't. Nobody really told me the effects of jaundice, and that you know, really, it is your body shutting down ultimately, and your memory is massively affected, and that was something I. Because I didn't know, I really struggled with the fact that trying to create a sentence, I, I'd start a sentence and I, I'd forget what I was actually trying to say uh, and what the words were. And it took quite a lot of time to deal with that. I mean, that was that was the jaundice itself. And then, of course, you have the whole affectionately referred to widow brain, widow fog on top right. of that, you know, which is obviously the body's response to the stress that you've gone gone through and it's 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 your body sort of saying I have only got 100% of energy and I've got to direct it to where it's needed and it needs to heal the mind and the heart uh, more than the body so it gets to slow you down but of course that slows slows everything down in the same in the same breath so I kind of went back to work and that's obviously when everything sort of slowly deteriorated there and say so by the time I entered into January 2016 it was wow where do we go from here you know you, you took quite a battering there for quite a while. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah. you know, one hell of a storm you were in. My goodness. Um, so how how is your health now? Is that under control? It's better. I, I, I think I had a mini episode the beginning of 2020. We, we only got to four and a half thousand in, in the liver function last January. I, I actually sort of slightly liken it to Chris telling me that I need to slow down and to, to stop stressing. And that this, this is his very visual, because of course I was very jaundiced again, telling me um, that this is what needed to be done. But that came after quite a period of time. I mean, I didn't feel stressed at all. Well, arguably I probably was, but I was carrying it in my body. Right. But it was after uh, having having created Project Me, you know, and this essence of where my life was, I moved 90 miles around the M25, which is a hell of a long way in the UK, to a new county that I didn't know, bought a house in a town I didn't know, 
started to renovate the house into a home and started my, my new career. Well, in, in creating this home, um, I've gone through all, done all the planning for the builder and it was, work started to slow down and then suddenly he came, it sort of came to a grinding halt and I came around to see him and I said, oh, okay, so, uh, you know, where are things at? At which point he said, I'm really sorry, Laura, I can't carry on the job. I am bankrupt. And oh, by the way, I, um, you know, the 20 grand that you thought you bought windows with? Oh, no, that's missing. Okay. Needless to say, after a sharp intake of breath, um, I took on project management of it. He carried on in the job. I renegotiated the contract to get back my 20 grand and spent the next four months project managing to get back into the house, which I now sit in. So unsurprisingly, as I entered into 2020, my body said, uh -uh. the computer says, no, we're having a timeout. We're having a, a minion session. And I'm back in hospital, severely jaundiced, in, in loads of pain and rigged up to all various things again. But wasn't quite as bad as the time before. I only stayed two weeks this time. So, so is this a, a, an actual disease or something that you have or? They reckon what it is, is something to do with the acidity levels stroke in my body that is having an extreme reaction that my body just can't process it. So rather than effectively relieving my body of in a normal way, it's just circulating within my body instead within the digestive system and not going anywhere. Um, so, oh. which is, yeah. So there's, there's not a name for it. That's just, that's no. what's happening. No. Yeah. Wow. They, they, wow. Can see, they can see what, what's going on. Sure. There's no, there's no real name. So they know that I, you know, I know I have to, to do exercise. It's like I can suddenly, I know when I'm starting to, to go under, as it were, because my iron levels drop mm -hmm. and my energy levels drop. And I feel like very, very little. And, you know, even climbing a, a flight of stairs, I've got to sit at the stop because I'm a step, top step because I'm out of breath. Um, but I haven't had any of that touch with as I touch my head since January 2020, um, because I do endeavour to swim most days because that's that's my sort of therapy. But it also helps the whole flow within my body. So yeah, you know, and I, it's it's interesting. Not that it's you know nowhere near what you're experiencing, but I was oh six months ago diagnosed with a rare form of diabetes that oh really. When, no one really knows anything about. There's not a whole lot of data. So we're just playing it by ear and trying to figure it out how to treat me because obviously it's for life. I'm now insulin dependent. I've always been a tall, thin person, never been overweight. Yeah. Now I have this rare form of diabetes that I'm now insulin dependent and had to make an, an entire life change. Everything I do. <laughs> yeah. And stress, stress is one thing that exacerbates it a lot. And all of that was happening. And it's, you know, how you say now my, my life changes weren't as massive and imploding as yours, but yeah. it, it was one after the other, you know, not feeling yeah. well for a long time, stresses at work, going crazy, having to take medical leave, being let go while on medical leave because yeah. I couldn't give a hundred percent. Well, no, I couldn't because I couldn't function, yeah. you know, so. Yeah just a strange so i kind of understand a little bit you're in that spot medically you know physically 
you've got something going on. There's really not a name for it. And you just kind of have to roll with it the best that you can and adjust accordingly. Yeah, you, it's you a, do. You know, it's, a, and... it's a bumpy road, but I've decided, <laughs> at least for me, and I'm going to ask you how you deal with it. For me, I said, you know, and that was that's one small part of why I called this podcast Let Fear Bounce. This is what it is. My body has said, you got to stop. You got to get away from all this stress that you're in every single day. You got to yeah. do this. You got to do this. You haven't been listening to me. So here you go. Boom. Yeah. So yeah. I said, you know, all right, well, I'm just going to, like you started a new career. I started my own thing. Just started doing yeah. what, I've been, what I love to do, which is write public speak and and help other people get their books going so i'm following my passion just like you're following yours yeah. out of this weird circumstances <laughs> you know life saying slow down and hey you've got these gifts now to me i'm a person of faith i have a very strong faith so to me it's yeah. like god saying i gave you these gifts and you've been yeah. using them sporadically for 16 years i want you to i want you to bump up your game now <laughs> you know, so I said, okay. <laughs> yeah, now's the time. Yeah, yeah now's I, the time. I, I hear you. I, I, no, I, I hear you. I, as like I say, I, I kind of, I do feel I have Chris totally walking by my side. And when, I, when I'm obviously not paying attention, that's when he says, look, the only way I can show you is like making you severely jaundiced. <laughs> For which I'm obviously not so grateful of me in making me like a little yellow minion. Because um, I'm not very tall either. So I'm definitely the little minion. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, um, I, I think it is definitely, it, it does keep me in check in making sure that I put things like you know, pacing myself and taking the time to swim and because it does make a difference. Things that, you know, I would have not necessarily put first before. I would have put, probably put my job and career first before. Because, But I think, ironically, that is the outcome of my not dealing with loss very well as a, at a very young age. And, you know, was my various different, far from helpful, coping strategies that I had in the past that didn't get me through grief and loss actually just exacerbated the problem right. so I think it was desperate when when the spectacular implosion happened five and a half years ago not to return to you know eating disorders the you know associated addictions the pushing on through the perfectionism the controlling more working harder stuff because that just doesn't work you know that ultimately you just fall over or the or the thing that you're trying to numb with or deny with or avoid with just becomes bigger than the original problem. And, and so I think you can you can do all of that stuff, but at the end of the day, to acknowledge the loss, to acknowledge the grief really is the number one step. Because without doing that, all this other stuff comes into play and, and you don't work through grief. You'll continue to feel lost, I would think. Yeah, you know, if you, if because you're pulled by the things outside of you rather than grounding in the acknowledgement of the relationship, the acknowledgement of, you know, the questions I, I ask myself, you know, who am I now? What, what matters to me? What is the feeling I want to have? You know, for me, it was to feel alive. For others, it's something different. Without acknowledging that and constantly going, how am I going to cope? Who can help me cope? And looking outwards rather than looking within 
then we're constantly going to be pulled and we're constantly going to be trying to set our expectations about what everybody else says we should be doing. And sometimes we just go, you know what? I just need to do something myself, which is why I needed to fly 5,000 miles away. Because if my mother asked me or suggested one more time, why don't you go back to doing ballet? <laughs> and I'm 42 to go back and stand in a leotard. Granted, I didn't stop until I was about 32, but 42, somewhat graying at the time and feeling a little bit, you know, old and gray right. to go and stand in a leotard. Um, I, I, I really didn't need any more useful and in inverted commas suggestions. <laughs> I needed to allow my mind to think quietly. <laughs> And you needed to set your own path. You needed to set your own path. Yeah. yeah. You know that the people that are close to you and care about you, that they're saying these things out of love, but they're also not walking yeah. in your shoes. You know, yeah. they're... And, and it was definitely from a position of love because they don't yeah. like to see you hurt and in pain and they want to feel like they, they're helping you in some way. But I think in some way that, that there's an overprotection in that because they're not allowing you to develop in the way that you could develop or you could explore yourself. You know, who is this new person that's coming to light now, having had these experiences? And I think that's where, for me, you know, I did a lot of work on my own, a lot of work reading stuff. And then I, I employed a therapeutic coach to help support me, see some of the things that I didn't necessarily see and myself. And also to help me with momentum, accountability, not pushing myself too, too hard. Because, of course, you do. You try to keep up with everybody else because you feel behind. She wasn't a grief expert. But I, I went to see three supposed grief counsellors. And I just came away going, well, I didn't think they could help me. And actually, the fourth grief counsellor, I said, she admitted, I don't think I can support you with what I, I'm hearing you need, Laura. I think... This colleague of mine, I think, while she's not a grief expert, as a therapeutic coach, I think it's worth having a conversation. And that's where it went from. And she is much the inspiration as to why I trained as a therapeutic coach, which is sort of a balance between coaching and therapy. So there's a sort of there's more listening than there would be in a classic coaching situation and it's it's yeah. very much sitting in the now rather than always thinking about what's the future goal because when you're sitting in grief and all you're only surrounded by nothingness so often thinking about a goal in the future well forget it that's just too much but yeah so I that's kind of really was because of the extreme benefit it gave to me in the journey I went on um, that's kind of what brought me to, to this point today really. Now, you had mentioned, we were talking off mic here a little bit prior to recording. Yeah. You had mentioned a, a resource that you've been working on. Yes. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah. So I, I mean, and it kind of relates back to, to my points about, you know, we can't think about the future because the future, when, when you're, you've lost and the bereaved, the future's gone and it's how to deal with where we are now and acknowledge um, our grief and to find clarity and focus. And so I created a little booklet, it's, it's about 20 odd pages, so it's not very long, which is grounding even your grief, creating clarity and finding focus uh, amid the chaos and overwhelm of grief. It's a very short guide, you know, where I talk a little bit about my story and share 
some ways and some tips as to how people can acknowledge their grief and take the first steps forward. So if people would like to have a copy of of that free report, which I normally charge £295, what that is in dollars, I don't know, but I would be very happy to share that with the listeners for free um, if they drop me an email to hello at thelostconnection.co.uk. Oh, so wonderful. What a, what a beautiful offer. And I am, I am positive that there will be those who can certainly benefit from it. So for all of you listening in on that, if you do want to um, get a copy of, of that resource, the her email and all of that stuff will be linked in the show notes. So you can check the show notes out as well. Um, but what a great resource to, to provide. And I like how you said, you know, it's those small steps because that's what they are. They're very small steps that you take and you should celebrate yeah. each of those steps because you're coming from... a Absolutely. You know, your whole world has completely shifted. Completely. Then do you, did you find, I guess on your journey, did you find, you know, not only are you grieving and you're ill, you're in ill health, you've got all kinds of other stressors going on, but did you find that you felt guilty that you couldn't, you couldn't keep up? It's like, did you, did you have this sense of I'm not enough? And, and, and did you have like guilt, like, yeah. well, I can't even take care of this. Oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? You know, did you have any of that yeah. like type of swirl? I call it a swirl. When I have those days, I'm like, I got a swirl yeah. going on. You know, I have to stay away from humans yeah. for a while. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to go swimming and listen to hardcore dance music while I swim. That, that, that calms me yeah. down. But yeah, absolutely. I know. I, I think people think I'm listening to some nice classical music when I swim up and down the lanes. But no, I hardcore dance music <laughs> is my, my medium um, to calm down. But, it, but you're right. I think that I felt like I was living in a parallel universe, walking in treacle or wading through treacle is probably more like it. I just felt like I was playing constant catch up and that everything else was going so fast around me and you know I was having to compute so much stuff so quickly where you know you would have asked a partner before where of course he was no longer there and and then you're also dealing with all the new stuff that you've never done before then I was dealing with a whole load of complex paperwork as well along with associated with you know him dying yeah and you can never underestimate the paperwork associated with bereavement is phenomenal and and the people that you ring up who are supposed to be the expert bereavement teams in the banks and whatever else I, I think their training needs an upgrade shall we say putting <laughs> it politely um but you know and, and all of that just makes it really really hard because you need everything so simply presented to you so that there's this sort of calm oasis amidst all this busyness. I mean, this house, when I renovated, albeit that we had to go through when it definitely wasn't this, I had a very clear vision that it was going to be my calm oasis away from the busyness of the outside world. It was going to be full of fun, laughter, flowers, family and friends. And that was the vision. And so granted, when he told me that he was bankrupt and there's no back wall to the house and it was a shell, you know, this huge house that I have, I, I, my, my little vision was struggling somewhat, but I, I do have that now. And I think that is, that is the place that 
I work to with my clients to offer them that calm oasis so they have whatever is going on in, in their space around the loss, you know, whether it's immediately after the loss or sometime after the loss, because I help at many different points along the journey. Right. Um, and quite a lot of my clients, I'm, whole, you know, with them for nine plus months. It's such an intense per process that people go through through grief. It's not something I believe that you can go through five steps and, you know, job done, we're, we're over it. Absolutely not. You know, there's there's lots of new learning constantly. And so being able to walk by some by somebody's side to help them navigate those things so they can build up their confidence to stepping out beyond that without right. the need for somebody is so crucial. You you walk those steps with them right from where they're at and at their pace. Yeah. And, and what I was going to say, and quite often I'm the one saying to them, no, you need to slow down, you, you know, because you're going to exhaust yourself. Because we try to go at the pace we, we were doing before. And, and that's, that's where you end up in a problem. And that's when you're likely to get another huge wave of grief come on because you've exhausted yourself too much. So, so whilst I'm, I suppose I'm probably pacing and, and slowing down probably more often than I'm actually, you know, because also people don't want to sit in the slowness. You know, people don't want to sit in the pain of grief because, because it hurts. Right. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a pain in the heart. You know, it's not something that a pill can take away. And, and so it needs somebody who can offer just a space whether they want to be heard, whether they want to cry, whether they want to scream, whether, whatever they want to do. That is the space that I help and support through. And I help them, you know, find, find the space they are now so they can acknowledge where they're at right now too. Because I think quite a lot of the time they, they don't know where they're at, you know, because it's just, whoa, I've just been dumped on. And where am I? So yeah, you know, it's, it's so important. I think that the key words there, what that you just said that just jumped out at me is that they acknowledge where they're at now because yeah. so many probably, and I know just in my own life difference, I didn't lose a spouse, but the loss of a loved one period, that grief yeah. is so different, but it's so intense and everybody, everybody travels that journey differently you know and some people you might look yeah, at and say wow they're handling that so well but on the inside they are broken and you know take the mask yeah. off take your mask off and let yourself yeah. be where you're at sink into the hurt and then yeah. then acknowledge yeah. it that the whole word right there acknowledge yeah. it embrace yeah. it and then move through yeah. it you know because it's going to be a part of yeah. you it's now a part of you Absolutely. That, that without a doubt, without a doubt. Excuse me? Without a doubt. Without acknowledging it and, you know, accepting. And it, it, when I say accepting, it's acknowledging where you're at and how it's impacted you. You know, because you have to deal with the change. If you want something different rather than feeling stuck in grief, it requires you to act. And you can't act until you acknowledge where you're at. Because it would be a bit like me saying to you, well, we need to fix something and I provide you a spanner and you actually needed a hammer. You can't, you can't, until you know what it is you're trying to do and what it is you've acknowledged, what it is, is the space that this situation has created. How can, how can you know what you've got to do about it? How can you find the how? 
the how comes later. But of course, our natural question is, how am I going to fix this? Right. You know, acknowledge where you're at now. For those words, they're just stuck in my head now. <laughs> it's like an awesome title for a book. Oh, there we go. So there's... <laughs> There's, there, there's, I, there's, there's, an, like, I, there's an idea nugget I'm tossing your way. <laughs> so to watch out for later this year then, Kim. The, there you the, go. The Acknowledge where you're at now. now. <laughs> hey, there, there's there's that little nugget I just tossed your way. I tossed it across <laughs> that big pond for you. Yeah, received <laughs> So as we wrap this up this afternoon, Laura, what is one thing that you would like to leave our listeners with that they can either jot down or something that they can take away with them, maybe utilize throughout the days to come if someone is sitting in that dark spot right now? The biggest one I would say is just to breathe, to slow down and just acknowledge where you're at. We're so quick to get up and rush, to, to fill the space. And if the tears flow, the tears flow. If they don't flow equally, that that's, can be just as common. But to just breathe and notice where you're at acknowledge where you're at and just take one step at a time you know i i, I recently did a post and talked about the domino effect and it only takes a tiny little domino and that just one tiny little domino any step in any direction has the power to knock something 50 percent or the power of 50 percent of another domino over so do not underestimate that even just making a cup of tea, if that's all you do in the day, that's okay, because tomorrow you'll make two cups of tea, and the day after you'll make three cups of tea. That is progress, and that is all that is needed in order to knock a whole row of dominoes over. So do not lose sight of that, and do not think about the 50th domino. <laughs> think about right. the first tiny little domino, and that's all it needs to be. Yeah. The rest does come. Yeah, that one, just that one small thing. And if you accomplish it, celebrate it. And if yeah. you do nothing, and if you do nothing else for the rest of the day, you accomplish that one small thing. Yeah, absolutely. Let, let, um, your, let yourself go through the process naturally without trying yeah. to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Without a doubt. Great conversation. I, I could keep on talking for a long time. <laughs> so, I have so many, so many ideas and, and uh, questions in my head now. Um, but maybe, you know, we'll have to have you on again so we can continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe another segment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's part two of life? Yeah, what's part two of life here, Laura? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. We may, we, may, we, may be going, we may be going back further in life, you know, but um, hey. how, how I even got to this part. But, you know, which is where the lost connection as a business title came from. So there we go. Mm. Okay, well, then we definitely have to have you back on so I can... <laughs> So I can hear the rest of the story. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, so thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I do, I do want to have you on again. So I will look forward to that a uh, few months down the road and we'll see where you're at on your journey. And yes. um, I will definitely in the show notes, leave that resource that you're generously providing to our listeners. That's wonderful. That will all be in the show notes and Thank you again for being on, and I wish you a blessed rest of the day. Thank you so much, Kim. Bless you too. Take care. You too. Bye.